This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So at The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Eric, that's Ryan, that's Matt. All right, guys, let's dig into Galatians 2. So we didn't get into too many arguments uh, on Galatians 1, so maybe in Galatians 2 we can have some knockdown dragouts. But I, I just got to be honest with you from the very, very beginning, Galatians 2, of, of all the the chapters of Galatians for me personally, it is my favorite for stuff that kind of comes on the latter half. So, uh, you know, when Paul opposes Peter and, you know, justified by faith, but really I don't want to give short shrift to verses one through 10. So I just want to kind of tease it up to to you guys to talk about the things from that, that you felt were important because I feel like we could spend basically the entire time talking about Paul opposing Peter to his face and in person. But again, I don't want to give short shrift to the very beginning. So just toss it out to anybody that has something on that first part of Galatians two. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just had a couple thoughts. Um, they're a little closer. I just think a lot, of, a lot of times we want to do good things for God, but it's not necessarily the best things. So when I read like the very first couple of uh, verses, you know, he's receiving revelation and doing God's work. Um, there have been a lot of times where I feel like I wanted to do good, uh, and so I extended myself. And it's kind of almost like before I found my lane, one of the things I really appreciate about Paul is he found his lane. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's like I'm going for the Gentiles. That's it. So he didn't really let himself swerve right or left from that. So um, just more of an encouragement as I read that for me to continually understand my lane where God has me, the purpose he has for me, and to not sway from that too far, uh, or really at all, um, to stay in it because that's the best that he has for me. Yeah, one thing I got from, from the first part, like you can see Paul's humanity. In here a little bit like there's a little there's almost a little hint of sarcasm when he's talking about people who seem influential like it's almost like taking a dig at him um i don't know i it's just kind of a funny funny side note to just think about like paul is still he's still a human you know writing in the inspired word of god but like he's still kind of being he's still writing as paul and i, I just think that's interesting to look at yeah i liked in uh in verse six and from those who seem to be influential what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. So a lot of stuff in verse 6, I, I underline God shows no partiality, so that takes us to James 2. Um, <clears throat> so people that want to focus on race, people that want to focus on any other immutable characteristics, God does not show any partiality, but then obviously towards the end, um, you know, who seemed influential uh, but added nothing to me, man. That like that's a that's a rough one to think about for you personally because you know we live in a culture that we gosh we worship at the altar of so many people you know our favorite Instagram influencer our favorite podcaster our favorite athlete our favorite pastor and we're we're constantly worshiping at the feet of these these people like or they're they're more like things because that's not who they really are on ins you know they're that's just who they are on Instagram so it's mm-hmm. more of a thing than it is a person but it's like man God doesn't show any partiality so it's like it doesn't matter how 
cute or not cute you look on stage while you're talking. It doesn't matter how good or not good you seem whenever you're, you know, handing a football to a kid as you're going back to the locker room. Like, you know, God almost doesn't see that. It's, it's almost like there's, there's no partiality here. And man, like how many of us, because I certainly go to that, like we're so concerned about the people that are adding nothing to our lives. I mean, you've heard pastors talk about before. It's like you're, you're going into debt to buy a car that <laughs> nobody... like nobody actually cares. Like these are people that you don't care about really that don't care about you, that you're trying to impress with something that they won't even acknowledge. And so I I thought that that was an interesting thing for me in the first part. I really look at Matt and see how Tim Tebow really changed his life. Right. (laughs) Hey guys. Yeah. That's just going to be a thing. I don't know if you listened to last week's episode, but apparently Matt Grassmeyer hates Tim Tebow. I mean, hates him, not dislikes him, not just isn't a fan, hates him. It's my cross Which, to bear. That brings, <laughs> me, into the, that <laughs> brings me into the text of the false brothers secretly brought in. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> it's getting no, hot in I, here. I, I'm sweating now. Um, no, I think, I think when we look at this, you know, we look at these false brothers that are coming into, you know, Paul's showing that are coming into the church of uh, Galatia, and they're, they're Judaizers from uh, James's church in Jerusalem. And so they have some pull here, you know, they're like, we're, we're guys of James. And so they're talking about circumcision, you know, and, and Paul goes, goes into no partiality. You don't have to be circumcised or not circumcised. God's going to look at you the same way through grace and justification through Christ. I think that, I mean, guys, obviously there's a lot there. And, and again, just to kind of do a little sidebar, um, every time that we end a forging table, there's certainly more that can be said. That's something that I remind myself and remind all the guys before we get in here. But there, there are certain passages in here that hit all of us a little bit differently. And, uh, you know, I remember back in the day, uh, Eric and I were, were doing like some coffees and things like that. This was years ago. And I remember us talking about Galatians 2, 11 through 14. And you brought up William Farrell and you brought up some of these church fathers that aren't as popular, but they're like, those were the guys that were like the in your face yeah, dudes. Like, what was it? It was either St. Peter or St. Bart. I think it was, uh, who, who was it? It was, uh, maybe in St. Nicholas who literally like walked across this assembly and like choked a guy oh, that's because he Farrell. felt like, a, that's fair. Okay. So yeah, like there, yeah. there were several guys that were kind of like that, but it really comes back to this part. So I actually want to read and we're again, we're not going to read every section every time, but I actually want to read Galatians two 11 through 14 here, because I think this is such an important thing for so many things that are happening right now in our culture. So this is Paul opposing Peter. So, but when Cephas, that's Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. That's the Judaizers. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So. To kick off the discussion about this part, is Paul, a follower of Christ, rebuked Peter, a follower of Christ, to his face publicly in front of other people? So obviously for, for a guy like me, that's wired like me, I'm, I'm the, the forceful guy. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'll look for a fight. I'm not scared of a fight. Like I want to challenge people, all those types of things. And so what I get a lot from people is like, Kyle, that's not very Christ-like. Like that, that's really mean and that's, that's really, uh, judgmental and you really shouldn't do stuff like that. You know, Jesus wouldn't have done something like that. Like the apostles never would have done something like that. And if you're not wired like that, if you're not wired, always looking for a fight, you know, you feel really, really comfortable. Like, oh, I'll never challenge anybody. You know, I'll just kind of live my life. And you, you do this kind of weird 
late nineties Baptist way of gospel where it's like, Hey, you just lead a good life and listen to Christian music. And then people will somehow come up to you and say, Hey, you seem really different. You know, how, how can I be different like you? And I don't think that's ever happened in the history of humanity that somebody has gone up to somebody and says, you're really different. I'd like to know why. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus. Like, I don't, I don't know that that's actually a real thing. It's just kind of a, a cute thing for people to throw out there. But I feel like this was so unbelievably important because Paul, you know, <clears throat> we know that he traveled to Antioch to, to challenge Peter Cephas to his face. And so he kind of went out of his way a little bit. Again, we don't really know that. I don't want to read something into the text that isn't there. He went out of his way to rebuke him to his face. And we see from the beginning, because he stood condemned, that's the end of, of, of chapter 11, or sorry, of verse 11. So to kind of tease it out to you guys, because I know I have way more to say on this, but I want to hear from you guys. One of his brothers, one of his brothers in Christ stood condemned, and he did not see it acceptable to stay silent. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he didn't just rebuke him quietly. He rebuked him publicly into his face. And, and we, we get the sense from the scripture. And of course, from the commentaries that Peter did accept that rebuke. And so like, he didn't like fight back against it and do all those different things because Peter was clearly in the wrong. Paul knew it. And Paul said something, but we live in this current like pansy Christian culture where it's like, if you challenge anybody, you're not being loving. Yeah, you're being unloving towards your brother. If you respond to somebody on Instagram that this you know, Instagram preacher that says something heretical, then you say, hey, this is heretical. It's like, oh, you're not being loving. And it's like, how loving is it to let someone who is condemned to stay that way? Like, again, I get so fired up about this because people just, they assume that saying nothing means that you're nice and being Christ-like when Christ constantly called people out for their sin. We obviously see a good example of here of Paul calling out Peter. Yeah, well, I mean, friends are, if friends are really friends, they're going to want to make you better. Right. I'm not just going to leave you the same. Uh, I remember this is years ago. I went uh, double dated with a friend of mine, John and his wife, and we were out walking um, probably to a restaurant or something like that. And my wife said something. I think it probably had already been a little bit annoyed. Anyway, she said something. Well, I immediately mocked her, just like, eh, you know, whatever. And um, John was walking with me. The women are walking right in front of me, and he just ribs me. And he's like, dude, don't do that. That's not nice. And I, and I, that was years ago. I still remember that because it had an immediate impression. Yeah. He did not wait. Uh, he wasn't mean about it, but he called me out in the moment and told me, you know, this is not right. And you know what? I, I apologized and got right. And I didn't do that anymore. And I, I think, um, I think a couple things uh, exist there. I mean, we had a relationship, so I think it was easier, um, for him to maybe do that and for me to receive it. It wasn't just out of the blue. Somebody didn't know, not saying that that's not right. I mean, or that, or that's wrong. Um, you know, and I, I look at this here and I assume that Peter and Paul had some Lord, some sort of relationship going into that. Um, but I just think, I think it's absolutely necessary for us to call out now at, at home with my, with my kiddos, when they were not believers, I trained them, uh, with the truth because I want them to understand it. But as, as they became or have become believers, I then hold them to that. And so when they digress, then again, I've got relationships with them. I see them every single day. Um, if they digress away, I'm immediately calling them out in, in, a, in a loving way. The idea is that you know, we can call people out, but we're doing it and trying to steer them back. Was it 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17? Am I, am I right? Rightly dividing the word of truth. But then the, the, the word is, is, is there. Uh, to rebuke, to correct, and to train in righteousness, to, to kind of steer us back in the right way. And I think that's what we, we do with our rebuke. Awesome. I think there, there's a lot to unpack here in these, you know, verses here. But, like, he's, this is something that he's 
he's ready to die for like he's ready to die on that hill this mm-hmm. isn't peter just slipping up somewhere this isn't peter like mm-hmm. losing his temper temper somewhere where it's like oh you know what you know i'll let this meal be over and then when the meal's over maybe i'll say something to him about him slipping up in anger like this is paul is so on fire about this and like like we opened with Galat- like Galatians one, like this is foundational stuff. Like this is like if you get this wrong, like you are, you are condemned. And I, I yeah, I think I think live in a culture where that's just not acceptable to do. And as someone who's not like Kyle, like I tend to sit back. That's something that I have to be intentional about. And it it is a you have to pick your battle. You know, sometimes like you're not gonna get mad at somebody for thinking that infant baptism is okay if you don't think like that's a that's a different thing like we could talk about that but like that's not a i don't believe that we're saved by grace alone like that's a different thing i mm-hmm. think that's i think that's a, an important thing to to understand here is that like he's he's calling him to the map because he is doing some dangerous stuff for the church right yeah well, Ryan, I had a quick question because I want you to go into what you say, but this is like no sarcasm. This is like a really important point. So I've said this on the show before, and obviously, you know, you and I have talked about this individually, but it seems like a lot of people that are in that reformed Calvinist camp, there's never a fight too small to have, yeah. right? And so it's like, there, there are those big things that Matt just t- kind of talked about, like, okay, these are foundational things here. These are core tenets of the Christian faith. But then it's like, hey, there's this one obscure word in the Greek. And now that it's translated into modernity, let's fight for the next seven hours as we drink our IPAs <laughs> and like figure figure this thing out. We drink whiskey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't drink it on this show, but yes, we are whiskey drinkers here. But like, that's just kind of the thing for me. It's like, again, you, you're kind of more so in that camp. And you, you love this. You love to kind of get in there and get in the ring and kind of fight with people. Now, again, in this setting, kind of like what Matt just said, like, we're fighting about something that could literally condemn somebody, not something that's so unbelievably small. But I want to kind of get your, your read on that as well, because I know that you have almost rebuked yourself at times where you're like, okay, I literally went way too far on, on this one obscure topic. And God, look at the amount of time I wasted. But like, you know, but then at the same time, it's like, where do you draw that line of, hey, this is the hill to die on versus, hey, this isn't that big a deal. So uh, can I quote Spurgeon? <laughs> of, of course, course. you can All quote right. the Spurs. Let's get them in here. Bold-hearted men are always called mean-spirited by cowards. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, I think that's a good quote. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so when it comes down to it, I mean, there's yes, I'm a Reformed Baptist. I'd probably be Presbyterian if I didn't believe in believer baptism. So I'd be like, that's something I argue about, you know, infant baptism, believer baptism. Uh, which is all a tier three type tier two issue. Uh, and so you've got to look at, you got to look at the tiers. Like, is this a salvation issue or is this a, is this like a tier two, tier three issue? You know, is it a non issue? Um, you know, we argue all the time about Calvinism and Arminianism, which we're going to laugh about it when we're in heaven, because it's really not a salvation issue. I believe that salvation comes from God. You believe salvation comes from free will sometimes, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, we don't know. I've, I'm so depraved that God had to open my eyes, you know? So, um, you know, I like to argue things. Um, I like, you know, but when it comes to this, I mean, we're talking about the foundation of the gospel. Mm-hmm. The gospel is not by man. It is by God. And then we are saved by the grace of God alone. There is nothing I can do that, that can make God see me any differently or righteous. The only thing that I can be seen righteous is through Christ himself. And how does that happen? Right. That happens through belief and repentance. Well, and, and to be clear, don't, don't lose your train of thought. Just to be clear, like 
I think you made it seem kind of like I'm on the Armenian side, which I would not co-sign with that. <laughs> I stretch. I like are, how you, I like you, how like you slid, <laughs> you just slid that in there. But I think, I think so this is where mean. most people that, that I'm around at least that aren't like full bore on the Calvinist side yeah. of things is oh, what, what do people normally say? They're like, okay, it's, uh, you know, the guy's drowning in the ocean and God's reaching out his hand to save him. And all the guy has to do is reach out. Whereas the Calvinists would say, no, no God snatched you up. There's nothing you could do. You're going to drown regardless. Whereas somebody who's not on that side, I won't say Armenian yeah. as if it's the opposite. Yeah. I'll say someone that's not in that camp is like, no, they at least had to reach up. Yeah. Like, so that God could grab their hand. And so that's the kind of, that's the free will thing that people really get into. Cause they're like, then you, you know, if you believe strictly like, like what you say you do, like you're, you're making God, the author of evil, uh, you're, you're making, you know, God very choosy in terms of that. And then again, it's going to open up a whole can of worms on, on sovereignty and those different things. Yeah. But I, I think that that's. I think the important point that you're making that'll maybe save us from an hour of just arguing about one thing <laughs> is in this moment, this was something that was so unbelievably important that it wasn't a secondary issue that people yeah. like to call it or right. a tertiary issue or something like that. It's like, right. no, this is a core of everything. Like this is worth fighting about because here's the other thing. If you've been friends for a long time with somebody and you've had these, these, you know, uh, if you've quibbled about very, very important things, it's okay to, to argue about the other little things like that. That's all okay. Where I think a lot of people struggle is when you see these grandiose, all encompassing statements. Like, you know, recently, uh, I had lunch with a buddy of mine that's Catholic. And basically every time he and I have a lunch, he tries to convert me to Catholicism. It's just kind of a fun time. But if you listen to John MacArthur, who we all, I think at this table are, are large fans and, and respecters of John MacArthur, John MacArthur thinks Catholicism is a false gospel and every Catholic is going to hell. Like, whoa, like that, that, that's so bold. And so far, and that's such a grandiose statement. And of course he's got entire commentaries to, to back that up. And, you know, he's had debates and he's done all those different things, but it's just kind of like, wow, is that really what, what we're talking about here? But to, to John MacArthur and to people that are of that ilk, it's like, no, 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 this is that, you know, Galatians two eleven through 14 moment to where like, if you are going to the, if you're going to mass and you're thinking that, that you're saved, like, no, you're not saved. Like you're, you believing, you're believing in a false gospel. So I guess everybody's lines a little bit different. Well, you know? it just comes down to it. You know, I see where MacArthur's coming from. I mean, that's pretty, you know, a bleak thing to look at sure, um, yeah. but if you look at if you look at um, paul talking to the galatians he even calls them out he's like you don't have true faith in the gospel when you go and get circumcised mm. you know because you feel like you need to get circumcised to to be saved you know or to have grace you know from god and so you know it depends you know i don't want to get into the whole catholic thing you know i i probably had the same things with prosperity gospel you know what i'm saying like hey you know if you come to god because you want a new car you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Did I really come to did I really come to Christ with knowing that I'm a depraved human being in need of a savior? Because why did he die on the cross for us? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing that we have to think about. And I think we'll get more into that in chapter three. Yep. But why did he die on the cross for us? What, you know, um, Paul will point it out. Like, what was the justification for Christ anyways, if you think that you need works to get to heaven? Absolutely. You know, and so um I think I kind of lost my train of thought from how this no, went I, to I, the Calvinism thing. Well, I, th I think that's really good because I, you know, as funny as it is, I and mean, we're going to poke fun, like that's always oh, yeah. going to be kind of a through point for a lot of our discussions. And, and I think that that's healthy. Like, I think it's always healthy to kind of challenge people and challenge those different points of view. What I would like to get from you on Matt, you kind of brought this up a little bit earlier is you're not wired to, to go at somebody 
and to just challenge them to their face, like immediately, that's not really your thing. But, you know, again, in our uh, friendship, because we've been friends for, you know, close to 20 years at this point, like there have been times when we have rebuked each other and neither one of us took that very well. And I think it was because we're wired so differently to where, again, this is kind of like an inside baseball thing. So I want to make sure that we still bring the listeners along. But I did, I rebuked you in my way of rebuke. And it was almost like a love language thing. Like, you know, you know, your wife's an acts of service person and maybe you're a quality time person. So all she wants is acts of service and all you're doing is just hanging around. It's like, no, no, no. Like you need to fill her love tank in her way. And so it wasn't until I got more used to Matt's style that I was able to rebuke you in a more healthy way. And same was true in the opposite. It doesn't mean that you need to come at me and like poke me in the chest, but like you knew that in order to get my attention, that you had to do things a little bit differently. And I feel like that's important for Christians that want to rebuke their friends. Like if, if they know, uh, you know, one of their Christian friends is, you know, having an emotional affair at work that may turn physical, or you know that they're cheating on their taxes, or you know that they're basically neglecting their families and they're hiding at work or hiding on the golf course or something like that, that that is a time to rebuke them in whatever way is necessary. But I just, I'm, I'm curious what the rest of you, but even you specifically, Matt, like how to come at somebody and rebuke them because we don't really see from the text how exactly we, he did it. We just know it was done publicly in, in and public, boldly. Yeah. I think, I think there's, I think there's layers and there's categories. Like obviously Peter is not a new believer. That's another layer too. Like he should know better. Right. Yeah. And I think that was one of Paul's points too, is like, you're, you're the rock that Jesus like wants to build his church on. You should, you should not be even entertaining this idea. Like, how could you even get there? And so I think, you know, that goes, kind of goes to, you know, when he's talking to Timothy about being a pastor, like there are certain, there are certain things that you got to consider. Like, that's not something you just decide flippantly to be a pastor because there's some, some things in eternity that, that are pretty serious that you should consider before you jump into that mm-hmm. and you're held to a higher standard. And I think that's part of it here too. And so like, if you're talking to a believer who, who professes to know Christ and to serve Christ, like, then I think there's a, there's a different, there's a different approach where you can be more blunt and you can be more in your face. And I've found that with my own life is like, if I know someone is professing that this is true, but then they're not acting in that way, I feel more apt to, to come to the mat and it, and I'm, I'm hesitant for a fight, but once I get in, man, I'm my, my, I dig my heels in and I'm let's go. But for a, for an unbeliever or for a new believer, I think a lot of times you have to be careful with how you bring that. Now, you shouldn't still bring truth, like Eric was talking about with his kids. Like, you should always bring the truth. And, like, your word is truth. The truth is a sword that cuts. Like, you should always bring that. But I think there's different ways to bring that to different people. And clearly here, Peter should know better. And Paul's like, dude, how did you even get there? But for, an, for a non-believer... And I think, there, I think there's a lot more like gentleness that needs to be prescribed to those types well, so of situations. With, so with Paul, you, you always see in his letters how he always comes graciously, except for Galatians. <laughs> so, but, you know. I maybe think, Corinthians. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I would say that too. Um, but if, if you see, I, you can see his anger probably maybe turn to a more of a, you know, it's always going to be angry, but it's like, more on fire, more of a fiery, righteous anger is when even his pal Barnabas is persuaded mm. into this, you know? That's and his kid. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like if I'm discipling somebody and I'm discipling them in truth and here comes this guy and he's discipling in non-truth, I mean, there's going to be some righteous anger there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so I think he, I think he opposes Peter, but I think he does it 
pretty graciously, but he calls them out because he was out there with the Gentiles. He's eating Gentile food, you know? He's enjoying the bacon, you know? And then now he's like, all right, well, you Gentiles need to be Jews, but I can live as a Gentile, but you can't. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You said something earlier about, uh, you, you know, you know someone professes to believe. I, think, I wonder sometimes if we, like, I'm just thinking, like, all the people I know, how many of them have I literally sat down with and just heard their testimony and then gotten a good feel of what they actually believe? I mean, I mean, I think I've done that a lot. But if I don't, I wonder if that leaves some ambiguity of, like, well, I mean, they say they're a Christian. Maybe I should hold them to it, but maybe I just don't know how much, you know, at what level, or, you know, whatever. So it kind of makes it harder. I think that's a good point. You know, yeah. we, 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 we bring in some assumptions like, like I was in a group in my industry where I assumed that everyone thought that salvation came through justification by faith alone yeah. in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. Yeah. And I made that assumption and it was, was completely wrong. And that that caused some like real strife for me and I had to make some decisions. And that's actually, I think, I think God used that as a way for me to, you know, kind of put on some big boy pants and say some things that needed to be said in a way that I wasn't comfortable with, but I knew that needs to be said. Well, I'm not calling myself Paul, but like it's a sal if it's a salvation issue, like, Uh man, you got to be ready to die on that hill. Well, I'm, I'm going to mess this up entirely, but every time, every year, there's always, usually Albert Moeller talks about it on his show, but there's some sort of survey or research done about what Christians actually think. Yep, and bro. the percentages of Christians that don't believe the Bible is God's word is astonishingly high. The, the percentage of Christians that think that you are good from birth and it's only how you are raised that that is makes you depraved. Like it is an astonishing level of, of I guess it's it's these abiblical ideals because we as Christians, and we talked about this on last week's episode, it's like a lot of Christians just don't, they don't read the Bible. And so they, yeah. they don't know what's there. And so they build off their, their worldview. They build off their Christian worldview off of a cultural understanding of Christianity and not a biblical mm-hmm. understanding of Christianity. Now, when you go towards a biblical understanding of Christianity, then you start digging into, okay, well, is the ESV right? Or is it the King James version that's right? Yeah, if you read the message, do you go directly to hell when you die? Then the answer to that is yes, clearly. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, that, that's just kind of one of those things to where it's like, we, we're so biblically ignorant about so many different things that, we do assume, we assume a lot of things about people because here's the other thing, you know, way back in the day when I was still listening to Andy Stanley, he had a really, really good sermon series about, you know, uh, what it means to be a Christian and like, what does it mean to call yourself a Christian in a group of a hundred people in a room that all profess to be Christian. If they had to describe what that meant, how many different answers are you going to get? Like, it's going to be a lot of different answers about people that describe like how they are to be a Christian. But I, I really like Matt, what you brought up and it really linked to what you said as well, Eric, which was the rebuke of someone that purports to be a Christian should be different than a rebuke of somebody that is outside of Christ. Mm -hmm. And that is such a huge thing that a lot of Christians, and again, I'm not one of those people that's like, you should be known for what you're for, not what you're against. No, I'm against baby murder. And you should know that about me from the very, very beginning. Let's shout that from the rooftops. But whenever you have somebody that's like, Hey, I'm not really a Christian. That's like me being invited to a Muslim's household for dinner and being mad that they're not praying 
the same way that I would pray if I were to invite them over to my house. That doesn't mean you don't spread the gospel. That doesn't mean that you don't share Christ with those people, but it's judging them based, based off of a criteria that doesn't make sense in that moment. And so I, I think that that's an important thing uh, about this part here. And we should probably wrap this up, Ryan. Yeah, hop uh, back in and wrap yeah. us up on this well, part of Paul and Peter. I think this part of Paul and Peter that we should really look at too is discernment within the church. So you brought up Andy Stanley. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we need to be able to call out our leaders lovingly. Because this is what's happening. We have two leaders. We have one leader within the church spreading a false gospel, you know, or a works and. And so how are, how are these people who don't dig into their Bible, who go to the church to listen to the TED Talk, mm-hmm. and the TED Talk is, you know, pick and choose each verse on how it can really benefit you in your life. You know what I'm saying? And so we need to keep our leaders accountable in a loving way and provide, you know, a discernment within the church, you know, because... Not everybody's reading their Bible. And I've got friends that, you know, we've lost some friends. You know, I was that cage stage Calvinist, man. Like, you need to believe in uh, penal substitutionary atonement, all this stuff. And I was talking to a guy and he's like, he goes, hey, man, you know, like if the church is just sending out good, at the end of the day, at the end of the, the church service, if you leave a good person, isn't that all that matters? I'm like, oh, what matters is you leave convicted knowing why you need Christ Jesus in your life and how you can better yourself through him. You know, not, oh, I just heard that message in that TED talk. I feel really good about myself. I did good things today. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what we have to get at. It's just works and, and we're seeing it a lot now. And how do you want to say it in our, in our church culture? So, um, I think I, I, think goes, I just dropped a huge bomb. Well, no, I, so. <laughs> I think that goes back to what, what Kyle was saying about ice Jesus and yeah. like how people like to read that. You, you know, I want to, I want to bring my point yeah. and then I want to, I want to find the verse that matches up to my point. And I really like what Alistair Begg says about the need for the gospel. Like we all come in and if somebody says, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna learn about the gospel today, most Christians would go, oh my gosh, okay, again, yeah, I know this, I heard this, but it's so foundational. It is yeah. so important that we should be preaching the gospel to ourselves constantly because even our best day is a zero. Yeah. And like we have to constantly be preaching the gospel to ourselves, mm-hmm. let alone everybody else. So it's, it's, it's such a foundational thing that you can't, can't just let it slide or you shouldn't right. just let it slide. Right. And, and to maybe put a, a little bit of a bow on this, I want to refer to something that, that you said as well, Ryan, rebuking our pastors. So what I've said before, and I've said this a lot on the show is, you know, a lot of pastors are scared to talk about those, those hard subject matters. So maybe that's abortion, maybe that's Black Lives Matter, maybe that's illegal immigration, maybe it's any number of things. And I've encouraged guys to, if you want to see the change in your church, you be the guy that starts it. So you and a bunch of guys that think like you set up meetings one right after the other with your pastor. You walk in, you tell the pastor, hey, pastor, if you start speaking out full-throatedly against the uh, against the you know murder of the unborn, I will stand in front of you and take some of those slings and arrows. And then you leave his office and the next guy comes in and says the exact same thing. And then the next guy comes in and says the exact same thing. And you're emboldening him to be able to do those things. Now, he gets to make a decision about what he talks about on sure. Sunday. But at least he will know that the people of this congregation will have my back if I decide to go that that direction. But the same should be true if you're rebuking a pastor. And that takes quite a bit of uh, stones on your end, because if they say something that is ahistorical or abiblical or that is slightly heretical, the the posture you should probably have whenever you challenge that person should be individually and maybe asking questions. Hey, when you said this on Sunday, this is what I heard. Did I hear correctly? That may be a great place to kind of start where this goes. And then again, the the question I tell people all the time is to ask somebody, hey, if you were wrong about this, would you want to know? 
And that's a great place to be because you're going to get a really good insight as to whether or not your uh, your pastor is going to accept that rebuke. I mean, go back to an episode from last year where we talked to Joby Martin and he talked about whenever he called me and rebuked me yeah, about, and he did it individually. It wasn't in person, you know, kind of like what we see here, but he did it, you know, he's in Florida, I'm in Oklahoma. And he was very impressed with how I accepted that rebuke. And I have no idea why I accepted it so well. I guess I was just in a good mood that morning, but it was, it was a thing was I knew that in that exact moment that I was wrong. And so it would have been just the worst thing possible for me to fight against what he said. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to be able to get a sense of whether or not your pastor is going to be accepting of that type of a, of a rebuke, or if they're going to kind of put up, Hey, Hey, I got my MDiv and I, I went to a seminary and all these types of things. Go ahead, Ryan. You want to hop back? I do. I do. I, yeah. I, I think I, I've been in both situations. Yeah. So I've had a pastor tell me, well, this just isn't the place for you. And I had okay. one pastor come to me and he's, or after I've come, like, I don't understand this. This doesn't seem biblical. He sat down with me with my Bible and showed me how this is biblical. Okay. You know, this is where I'm coming from. This is biblical. Rather, rather taking the time to disciple me, taking the time to be a shepherd. And then I think, I think that's what really comes down to is like, who's shepherding their flock and who's just, who's just right. sitting out there, you know, and just trying to wait for you to take, give your tithe. And I think that goes, that goes back to, to chapter one. Like, who are you, who are you serving? Are you yeah. doing it for more congregants? Are you a pastor so you can get on the main stage? Or are you the pastor so you can sit with somebody on their deathbed? Right. Like that's, that's the, the mud in the muck is where, and that's mm -hmm. a, that's a mud in, in the muck situation right there. Mm -hmm. And that's where pastors should be. And I think we should, we should feel like we can call pastors to the matter. And I, I, I like what you said. You've got to come with some stones and you've got to come ready to listen. Yeah. But if you come like a douche, that's also a terrible yeah. idea. Oh, like, no, that's true. like, don't be that no, guy. No, like, but yeah. you've got to be, you've got to, you got to, <laughs> if you're going to go and talk to a pastor who probably knows a heck of a lot more than you yeah. do, yep. come with some knowledge. Don't come like, oh, I think this is wrong. Yeah. I don't you know really what I'm saying? So. Like you come with some stones, writer, come with yeah. that, but be ready to listen. Yeah. Right. Don't be ready to like sit there and fight. Be yeah. ready to listen. Right. I want to understand. So, yeah. Eric, you want to yeah. hop in? Here? Oh well, yeah. One thing, um, you know, I was just think it is, you know, they always say it's lonely at the top, you know, your pastor, your pastor, your flock. Um, I've always learned that, um, you want someone pouring into you. I want someone pouring into my pastor. Um, mm. you know, because it's easy to kind of plateau. I mean, when you're just, it's, just you, you know, at the top. So I think that's really, really important. I think that really applies to all of us that we should have some body or some group of people that are pouring into us, but also are able to provide that check rein too. Mm -hmm. And we see that, you know, in some degree here, what's going on there, uh, even as we're kind of working as co-laborers side by side. So Absolutely. A lot of good stuff there. Again, there's more to say on that, but <laughs> I mean, really the last part of Galatians 2, I mean, this is, I mean, it's hard to rank order things, but this section of scripture, in my opinion, might be the most important thing that Paul's ever written, in my in my personal opinion. Um, if you just read Galatians 2, 15 through 21, and just focused on that, yeah. the, the pitfalls that you would avoid would be substantial. Uh, and there's a lot here. I'll just kind of throw out the very first thing. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll begin with the end in mind. So I'll go to verse 21. Because this is perhaps the single verse that is the most important thing that Paul ever wrote, and it's this. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And I remember the first time I heard someone else say that, because I remember reading it the first time, you know, when I was first reading my teen Bible or whatever, when I was in 10th grade or whatever, and it, it probably, I was having my mind blown constantly, so that didn't really come, come and, you know, blow my mind in any particular way. But verse 21 
is the biggest stamp of the, like, again, if you go from 15 through 21, maybe we should just read the whole thing, but 21 is that, that is the pounding on the table at the end of a statement. Like a lot of people, you know, I'll have people reach out to me sometimes, you know, they'll be asking for help with how to present or how to do a podcast or something like that. And how to, how to be good on in a Q and A and stuff like that. And I tell these guys, like, you need to end with a thump. Like you need to end with a thump. Don't just end with a, eh. Like whenever you're done with your, your answer, everyone should know it. And I feel like that is just such a great way of summarizing this entire part of the scripture. And it does provide a springboard into Galatians three, which we'll talk about next week. But again, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is a direct repudiation of what the Judaizers are doing in Galatia at this time, because it was, again, we talk about grace and gospel plus whatever the thing is. But uh, I mean, I'm just curious, cause again, like that's one part, but even in verse 20, like that's, that's probably one of the most oft quoted verses that you will see. And, and then, I mean, it really goes all the way back to verse 15. So, uh, at, at risk of me, like just sitting here rambling about everything in this section, somebody save me and hop in here because I just, I absolutely love this section so yeah. much. So I was thinking about, a. We oftentimes, or what, what I'm reading into this is, is uh, these guys became Christians and then um, they start trying to do. Um, I remember this Watchman Nee has a, uh, an illustration. He says, well, it was, it was actually a, a story. He was at a lake with a buddy and they saw a guy out in the lake. The guy, the guy was drowning. Um, he could not swim. He was going under and uh, Watchman Nee knew that he was not a good swimmer. So he told his buddy, he's like, man, go get that guy. The guy was like, okay. And he just had, stood there, right, and just waited. And uh, watch when he was getting very nervous at this point. This guy's like clearly, clearly yelling for help and says, hey, man, go get that guy. Um, and that guy just stands there. Um, his friend's kind of just waiting. Finally, um, the guy is literally going under. He's taking his last gulp of breath before he sinks. And his friend jumps out there and goes and grabs him and brings him into safety. Watchman, he was very upset about that. Obviously, of course, he was glad the guy was alive, but he said, why in the world did you do that? And he said, if I'd gone out there any earlier, that guy would have drowned both of us uh, trying to save himself. And uh, what, what he took from that story is that God is, we, we are no good to God until we have fully given up, until we are drowning and we finally give up and say, I can't do it. Um, and, and then, you know, here, here comes the hand or, comes up, you know, whatever, you know, going back to that <laughs> day. Saying, we're going back there. I just got us away from it. I like to serve like, a God that's going to dive in there and get me. <laughs> Before know? we go too far, wrap, wrap yeah, that yeah. up. Yeah, yeah that's so, good. That's good. So, so here he pulls us out and, and we're saved. Um, but so many of us then, as we, we realize that God has done his work and we, we then start trying to do, um, we start trying to, to do for God. And, and the reality is if we, as soon as we start trying to do for God, we, we realize that in our flesh, we can't do. I mean, we see Paul saying that I don't do the things I want to do and the things I do want to do, I don't do. You know, he has that tension point. Um, and I, I just think as we become believers, instead of trying to do or to try, we should just continue to trust um, in, in God and, and in Christ and in the spirit to guide us. Otherwise, every single time we start trying to take up ourself to do something, it's just going to end in failure. So Eric, I have a question on that. So this, this kind of goes back. I do want to read verse 16 here. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
So this goes into a discussion about fruit, I think, because, um, and I, I've, I've made this statement on my podcast for, again, a huge fan of John MacArthur, but when I listen to John MacArthur, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Every time I listen to him, every time I listen to him answer the question about how is someone saved, I feel like I get more confused. <laughs> and a lot of it becomes, you know, he talks about fruit. And he talks about even, uh, you know, last summer he rebuked uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. And he talked about, you know, when Gavin Newsom was using uh, scripture on billboards to basically encourage women to travel to the state of California to kill their children. Uh, you know, that was something that, that was really big last summer. But one thing that John MacArthur did is in his open letter, in the last paragraph of his open letter, there was a lot of action verbs he used of things that Christians should do, of things that Gavin Newsom should do in order to, to make sure that he accepts Christ and all those different things. And it's just, when you get into fruit and you look at someone's life, if they're following the law, there there's fruit from that. Like if they're doing good deeds, there is fruit from that. And I literally wrote this in, in my notes section of when I was reading the section is like, what about fruit? Because that's where I get confused is like, Hey, is my fruit sweet enough? Is there enough variety of fruit? Is, is the fruit big enough? Is it, is it appropriately sized or, or whatever the, the thing that you want to look at it is? Because I feel like that's when I start making the gospel more complicated. And the gospel should be easy to understand and easy to apply. And so I, I'm just curious y'all's thoughts on that about how fruit plays into this whole justification by faith alone side. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as soon as you said that, I was thinking of Galatians 5, through 24, that it's the, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, and that, that's really where it all comes from. I, again, I don't, I, I don't know that I fully disagree. I understand like cause and effect. You do this, you get this. Um, um, from the fruit standpoint on the fleshly side, but I feel like, you know, when we become believers, if we are trusting in and we have died with, you know, uh, Christ, then our fruit then should be holy through the spirit. And it should reflect, you know, the love, joy, peace, long suffering. Um, uh, I, I patience. think, I think one, one of the crux of the issues is that we're getting to a, do I, do I outwardly look like a Christian? And is it because I have been justified? And now I'm bearing fruit because I'm being sanctified. But I think, I think that goes back to Paul opposing Peter. Like he knew Peter. And I think having good godly relationships where people know you and know where your heart is, is where the best rebuking and growth can come. Because if I just looked, if I just randomly met Eric on the street and he was doing things that you could say are fruits of the spirit. Like, how do I know? How do I know you're just not doing those things so the world thinks you're a good person? And I think that's where that relationship, that fellowship really comes into play where it's like, we're, I don't think we're, we're not called to rebuke everybody in every situation, but if I'm in fellowship with you, Eric, and you're not displaying fruits of the spirit, and we might need to have some conversation and vice versa, because, mm -hmm. because like, the Bible's pretty clear. Like, if you're, if you're in Christ, you should be displaying those things, and you should. It's not. It's not God changing you. It's, he like literally gave you a new heart, so you should be displaying some of those things. So it's it's kind of a weird. It's a weird place to be. Yeah, but, but your fruit, the fruit that you're doing um, and displaying, should be for an audience of one. Sure. I think that's a, that's probably a big distinction. Is am I doing this again? Going back to our, our last week, you know, just. We're doing it for other people to see us, uh, or are we doing it because it's just the right thing to do. I ask, you know, my oldest son. I'm like, why do we do this? And he, you know, he knows the answer. The answer is we do this because it's the right thing to do, not for any other reason. You know, it's God glorifying. Well, I think one thing to look at is 
how do we look at the law? There's, there's, three, there's three versions of the law. There's government yeah. law, there's moral law, and there's ceremonial law. And what Paul's talking about with these Judaizers is ceremonial law, circumcision, what we eat, it's how our meat's prepared or sacrifice. The sacrifice has been done through Christ mm. Jesus. You know, there's no longer a blood sacrifice needed. So ceremonial law is gone. You know, um, and now they're under the Romans, so their own law, their own governmental law is gone. But what we still have is the moral law of God and who God is and what that fruit should look like. Mm. And so that's when it comes to the law of like, you know, hey, we're talking about ceremonial law here. But when we're talking about fruits, we're talking about the moral law of God, which we're still never going to hit the moral law of God because that's what Christ did. He did. He did it all, you know, but still, that's a good footprint to look at of like how as a believer I should behave. And how I should show fruit. I think that's you a know? good distinction for sure. And Paul was an expert in the ceremonial law. Yeah. Like he, like he knew that like the back of his hand, uh, to use a cliche. But yeah, I think that's a really good point. Well, so this, maybe this uh, ties in with verse 20 or it doesn't. I remember having this discussion with people. We were having in the context of kids and whether or not kids, uh, how kids are saved. And, you know, when, when is that age where it's like, okay, you know, they're kind of on their own now. Cause it's like, you know, I've, I've, you know, very, very young kids. And so it's like, if something were to happen to them, like, I don't, I don't see from scripture what, you know, what I could surmise is, you know, them being covered or, you know, anyway, it gets into a lot of different areas, but I wonder with, so let's say somebody really is leading a very, very good moral life. Now they don't know why, but they're, they're not lying. They're not stealing. They're helping people. They're, they're living a moral life and everybody Christian or non-Christian would say, yeah, they're leading a moral life. And then they become a Christian. And they're just continuing that same life. There's an argument to be made that, hey, we're not seeing the, the fruit because more, normally people talk about, hey, you were depraved, you're doing all these wrong things. Then you become a Christian and then we see this difference. And that, that does kind of go back into what happens with kids because it's like if a seven-year-old's a, the, the firstborn, dutiful, good kid, and then they you know, raise their hand at church camp or whatever the thing is that, that is kind of good for whatever your listener, wherever you're kind of hearing this, like... And then they just keep leading that same life. They're still doing their homework. They're still sitting in the front of class. They're still raising their hand and being like, that's where I think it, it kind of trips a lot of people up. And I can already tell all three of you yeah, have something I, to I, say. I, so I'm going to shut up and let y'all I, go. I think I like outward, outward appearance is great. I think it's the heart. Like Luther is a good example to look at at this. He was chastised in the, in the Roman Catholic church for like confessing too much. Like priests would get mad at him because they're like, why are you like, come back when you've actually sinned. And so I think when you're a regenerate Christian, like if you're doing all the right things and then you become a Christian, like you're going to look at all of those things differently. You're going to go, oh my gosh, I am a terrible sinner. I need to repent. I need to bring this to God. Whereas if you're not, you're probably just, okay, I'm, I'm being, I'm doing all the right things, but like you don't look at, you look at yourself differently. You look at yourself through the lens of God in need of uh, someone to intervene on your behalf because you cannot help but sin. And so I think, I think Luther offers a really good example of what it's like to, like, look at his life. He gave up his whole life to be a monk. I mean, he was following the law, you, would, you mm-hmm. could say, but then he had, he had this moment where he's like, oh my gosh, I am just, I'm filth. And he got, even in his own church, got like, like Come back in trouble for it. Yeah. Cheated on your wife. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I think one thing that we have to look at is uh, we got to look at the heart. So, I mean, Jesus takes it all a step further, like with adultery, you know? Right. I say that even if you don't even have to go into the act with the woman, just lusting after mm-hmm. her right. is, is something. And so God looks at the heart of man. And so, you know, hey, that guy may be doing good things, but we don't know what's going on in his heart. 
Um, we also don't know, like, you know, um, let's say there's somebody who's totally depraved and they have like, that's a drug addiction, you know, and they're trying to fight every day on not taking that drug, you know, taking that drug. Well, they're fighting harder and relying on God harder than the guy that could be talking about over here. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that this guy's more saved than the other guy, you know, even though we can see his outwardly, you know, trying to change. So I think, I think it really comes down to the heart. I mean, we can, our heart's always going to come out into, into our, our actions, you know, within life. And so people are going to judge that, but people can't judge my salvation. I mean, you're talking to the Calvinist here. I can't judge anybody's salvation. You know, as much as I'd love to be like, man, I'm MacArthur, this one. And be like, you just don't have the fruit, you know, but it's just like, I can't really judge yeah. that. That's God to judge. That's the Christian freedom in this all, you know, of this all is that God's going to judge, you know, what our actions are, what our hearts are, you know, but I have the trust and faith that Christ died on the cross for me because I am depraved and I'll stand righteous before God, not because of my works, yeah. not because of the actions that I, I did even as a believer, but as I am justified through Christ alone through righteousness. Uh, that, that's so freeing and like not, because like if, if I run into Kyle after I become a Christian and I'm doing all the things and I'm, you know, I'm chasing after, after God's heart and I'm like trying to do all these things, but he catches me on a day where I lose my temper yeah. on, on my kid. Like he could, he could go back and argue, man, Matt is not showing the fruit of yeah. spirit. Right. That's my you know paradigm. I mean? Like that's a, sudden. that's a, that's a snapshot of my life. I think, and I think that's where Christians are, are one of the places Christians get really caught up is like, oh man, if somebody sees me lose my temper, well, it's, like, but I, it's not I'm, even if somebody sees me, because I remember when I hear John MacArthur talk about the, these types of things again, it seems like I'm picking on John MacArthur. It's not, it's just that I'm confused whenever he talks this John way. MacArthur? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you hate Tim Tebow <laughs> and you love him and him, but yeah, I, I hate John MacArthur. But like the, the thing about it that that's, it's, it's hard for me is if, if you still struggle with the same sins pre faith in Christ and because some people, when they get saved, like they were a drug addict, they were, you know, a sex addict, they were, they were whatever. And then, you know, Christ, like they just changed it. Like all of a sudden, like they didn't have to go uh, 12 steps. Like they were just, you know, redeemed from, from alcoholism or redeemed from all those things. And like, it was like, God, you know, just snatch that. But then you have people that are like, maybe they struggle with porn and masturbation, then they get saved and they still struggle with porn and masturbation. It's the same flesh that they're fighting against. It's just that they have, you know, they have salvation. Like they have, yeah, they have a future. They have conviction. Mm-hmm. It's like when, let, let, let's say they give into the flesh and they watch the porn and they masturbate. They're going to feel the conviction after the fact, like, man, why did I do that? I feel like this is wrong. But beforehand, before Christ, they were probably like, I mean, this is just what guys but what do. if they, just, and yeah, then maybe yeah, this yeah. is a, con, a, a discussion about uh, conscience and not conviction, but it's like, I remember like before, um, what's the best way to say it? So like I became a Christian, like in 10th grade. Mm-hmm. Well, before then I had certainly seen porn and masturbated to it. And like, I still, there was something in me that felt like this is, this is wrong. I think well, how'd you grow like, up? I, well, it's like, you, I still felt like that was wrong. And so I still felt that same shame afterwards. It was just like extra shame. It was like super duper mega uh, shame in the back of yeah. that type of thing. And sure, it's like, shame. it I, seems a little different. <laughs> I grew up with pornography being a bad thing. And yes, as a, as a teenager, I looked at pornography and I felt guilty about it. But I had a friend who also looked at pornography and he thought just it was whatever. okay because yeah. his dad looked at pornography. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it, we have that conscience in us because of what we know from our family, but or how we're growing up, or whoever yeah. could have done something in our lives. But we also, once we become Christians and we read the word and we know that lusting after a woman in my heart is no different than 
sleeping with a like woman. Like it's categorically that, yeah. something different. And Eric, you've been chomping yeah, at the yeah, bit here. Sorry. I want, yeah, I want I mean, you to get in yeah. here. Yeah, I mean, go. Pra- practically, though, we don't walk around naked. So we, there is something to be said that we are covered up. There is a reason behind that. I, I, I'll, I'll go back to what I was going to say earlier. Just um, I was thinking like just of, a, of, a, of when you said originally kind of moral, just a moral kid, just kind of grows up, good person. Um, yeah, I, it's, I feel like they're working off cause and effect. So if they, if they have a good, they a generally good heart on, in this, on spiritual here in this, in this context, and they look around, they go, you know what? When I'm nice to the people, they like me and they want me to be around them. So I think I'll, I'll continue to be nice to people. Um, then they grow up just tending to be nice to people because it makes them feel accepted or whatever. As they get, get a little bit older, the pressures change a little bit. Now they want the, those people to still like them. And the problem is, is when they're not identified with Christ, mm. they have to then identify themselves with their friend group. And if their friend group kind of veers off this way or that, they're now they're at risk for, I still want to be nice, still want to be um, you know, accepted. Therefore, I'll do this thing or that thing. Um, if, and that may lead them down a really bad path. You know, so um, I think there is a pitfall if we kind of just carry that out. But our mo- our, we may look really good on the outside. We may have lots of friends, but I do think that ultimately it is self-serving if we're not serving yeah, if you're someone not, else. If you're not grounded in scriptural right. truth. Like, yeah, you could. That's a great point. If too. you have cultural truth, yeah, I mean that's leading your conscience. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, if the culture says this is right or this is wrong, you know, you're whether you have whether you're a Christian or not, you're you know, or if you're a non-Christian, your conscience is going to go by what the culture says, but. If you're a Christian, now you know what biblical truth is. Well, that's why reading the Bible is so important, because even yeah. someone who leads a good moral life can go to the gospel and hear Jesus said, no one is good. Yeah. Why do you call me good? No one when is you good say but God. leading a moral life, how do we know? And this gets back to, and I know we're not supposed to say his name, but Ravi Zacharias taught me this, but it's like origin, meaning, morality, destiny. Mm-hmm. Okay, so origin, where do we come from? Meaning, why are we here? Mm-hmm. Morality, what's the difference between good and evil? Destiny, where do we go when we die? And on the moral law thing, it's like, okay, if you know what bad is, because people are like, you know, why do bad things happen yeah. to good people? It's like, okay, well, in order to know what bad is, you have to have a, you know, a comparison. So you need to know what good is in order to differentiate between good and bad. You need a moral law. And, you know, just talking about a moral law implies that there is a moral law giver. And so in that particular context, you will have people that will lead a moral, moral life and not know why, mm-hmm. and not know why they say these things are bad and these things are not. Because I was talking to a guy, you know, uh, last year and we were talking about, uh, um, just basically about how, okay, everybody knows that when you, uh, rape and kill a three-year-old girl, that that's wrong. Mm. And it's like, wait a minute, how do we know that? I know that you prefer that, that you think that, but you know, again, another Ravi Zachariasism was like, okay, there are some cultures that you know, love thy neighbor and then there are other cultures that eat them. And so like, those are two very different things. And it's like, just to assume that everybody says the same thing, like, why can we look at a a depraved, you know, Ted Bundy or a Jeffrey Dahmer or someone like that and say what they did was clearly wrong because we're living in an era of your truth. Well, everybody does right right in their own eyes. Right. right? And so that was right in their own eyes. And whether they felt guilty afterwards or not in the moment, they were acting in their truth and they were acting in their things. Why can we as a society say that? No, 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 those things are wrong. And it goes way beyond, well, you know, if we kill off a bunch of our chimps, that that's not good you know, for the, for the rest of the tribe or something like that. It goes way beyond that because we know that there's a level of human depravity that comes back to a moral law. And so that's where it kind of gets in to all this stuff with, with this is like, there's a reason why we act out in the way that, that we act out. But whenever you do become a Christian, Ryan, it goes back to kind of what you were saying. It changes 
exactly what that's grounded in that math. That's what you said as well. Like it's grounded in something like you don't have your feet planted firmly in midair. You have mm-hmm. them firmly planted in the reality, of what you see in scripture, but we do get a lot from culture because yeah. we are culturally Christian. We have a mm-hmm. Judeo Christian ethic growing up here in the West. That's why atheists can get away with saying you should do good things. It's because they're building their atheism and their materialism well, off of a Judeo Christian ethic. Right. And they don't even realize I that they're smuggling got, it you've in. Got, you've got to call them to the mat on consistency too. Like Jeff, Jeff Durbin does, uh, he, he does presuppositional debating all the time with atheists. And one of his, you know, his starting arguments is getting them to be on level terms. Like what is an atheist? If you're if you're consistent with what atheism thinks, then we're all just stardust bumping into stardust, and not, nothing really matters. And but if you're not, you're not really an atheist. If you're pulling truth from the Bible to say, well, this is right and this is wrong, like you're not consistent with the worldview of atheism. And so, like you're saying, like you're pulling culture or truth because we were our our culture is grounded in in Judeo Christian ethic, and so then you you have to borrow from the Bible. Right. That's the whole point of point. Frank, Frank, exactly. Turk's, yes, uh, yeah. Frank Turk's Absolutely. book, uh, Stealing from God. That's yeah. the entire point. Absolutely. Right. I, I was going right. to say, you know, um, just kind of uh, capstone that thought I had that uh, I, you know, I, tell, I, I tell my kids, I tell myself, it's like it, when you know yourself, when you know where your identity is, then you don't care what other people think about you. You know, so um, when, when we're identified with Christ and that's where we get our satisfaction, then, then we, in essence, can, and I just, I really like, because I've had this kind of the question come up multiple times. I thought it through just, you know, there's times where Paul seems very arrogant, um, but I don't, I don't think it's arrogance at all. I, I look at it. I'm like, no, this guy knows a hundred percent where his identity is uh-huh. and he's not going to let anyone else tell him who he is or what right. he has to do. And it's rightly ordered. Well, and it's rightly ordered. I think the arrogance thing for Paul comes from a, that's a cultural worldview. Like we in our culture would view that as arrogant. Yeah. And so people can put that spin like 2000 years ago. That was not arrogant at all. That was crazy. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> but now, but now we can look at it and go like hindsight is always 2020, right? We can go back and say, well, Paul was a womanizer and Paul was arrogant, but like we're looking at that through our cultural lens. Well, and also we live in a culture where if you make any declarative statements, <laughs> that are on the Judeo-Christian side of the ledger. You're, you're bigoted and you're terribly, terribly judgmental. And it's so funny because they don't apply that same standard to themselves because they would say anything that aids the planet is a good, righteous thing and anything against that is wrong. Anybody that affirms somebody that's LGBTQ+, that is good, but anybody who challenges them is not. And so it's, it's an inconsistency in the worldview. But even Eric, as it goes back to something that you were saying, that's where we get into verse 20. It's like where, when you're talking to your kids, it's like, what are we grounding this in? Who are we now? What is our identity? Verse 20, Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith and the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, guys, you've heard that scripture a bunch. Your pastor has likely talked about that scripture a bunch. But as we wrap up Galatians 2 here, that is so important for us to remember. It goes back to whoever said it first. It's the audience of one. And who is that one? Is that one you in your own navel gazing narcissism? Is that, is that one culture because you so desperately want to be accepted by culture? Or are you going to honor God and damn the consequences? Because there are certain things that in, in this whole situation with Paul and Peter, Paul pushed a bunch of relational chips towards the center of the table. Mm-hmm. And I bet you he was fine with that relationship with Peter being harmed because he was going to honor God in that moment. And that is my encouragement to everybody 
you're listening to this, is there are going to be guys in your life, there are going to be times in your life where you're going to have to put relational chips in the center of the table, and that guy might be mad at you, that guy might blast you in the face, but if you are in the righteous position, based on the good word, not your own understanding of morality in some vague sense of where we are in modernity, but if that's what you're willing to do, you are loving your brother in a way that he will not even potentially comprehend in that moment. But it's one of those things that when you come back around, and you may never get the apology, you may never get the guy to be like, oh yeah, you were right back in the day. But if you're standing on righteousness, if you're on the positive side, the moral side, the God side of the moral ledger, it is going to be awesome for you. But guys, there's so much more that we can say here, but we have to leave it there. But come back next Sunday because we'll dig into Galatians 3. Make sure you read that so you're prepared for next week. Are you excited about Galatians 3, Ryan? I feel like you're excited about it. You're you're willing to mess up the outro just to show how excited you are. That's totally fine. But guys, hey, that's okay. We can make faces. This is all good. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. The only link I've got for you today is a link to our donation page. Guys, if you support the content that we do here on the Forging Table or anywhere else, the only way we're able to pull that off is because we have guys like you that are supporting us with your dollars. So go there and check that out, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album leveler the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah